and take your Bibles, turn to 2 Kings 11, or in these Bibles, page 300. Please follow along if possible. In brief, our passage this morning is about a brave woman and a brave man who rescue a baby boy from being murdered. It's a spellbounding, spellbinding and true story that really should have been made into some kind of a movie by this time, just simply for the storyline, the entertainment value, if you will, but it is far more. The two heroes are Jehoshaphat and Jehoiada, whom we all know, right? No, these are probably some of the more obscure names of the Old Testament, and yet this couple literally saved Christmas for the entire world because they saved the boy who would be humanly a, an ancestor of our Savior, Jesus Christ. It doesn't get more important than that. They were champions for a little baby through age seven. And if God is at work in your heart this morning in this passage, I trust you will be thinking of one, two, three people, maybe younger, maybe children, maybe small people, maybe someone a little bit younger in the faith than you, in whose life you can have a profound impact. Verse 1. When Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she proceeded to destroy the whole royal family. But Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Jehoram, also known as Joram, and sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the royal princes who were about to be murdered. <clears throat> she put him and his nurse in a bedroom to hide him from Athaliah so he was not killed. He remained hidden with his nurse at the temple of the Lord for six years while Athaliah ruled the land. If you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you have already met Athaliah. She is the wicked daughter of wicked King Ahab and wicked Queen Jezebel. Did I mention she comes from a wicked family? Let's review a little bit in terms of a map and uh, a family tree to understand who these people are. I realize those names just kind of fly by for us. Again, the nation is in two parts, two kingdoms at this time. You have the kingdom of Israel and Judah. The northern kingdom of Israel had been recently run by Ahab and Jezebel and their sons, all of whom were wicked. But the thing that we've seen happen in the last couple of studies is that now their daughter, Athaliah, Ahab's daughter, married into the line of Judah in the southern kingdom, imported all that Baal worship and idolatry problem with her. And she and Joram, here called Jehoram, is a, they have a son, King Ahaziah. So what's happening is that there is a capital in Samaria and in Jerusalem, and now they both are centers of idolatry because of this intermarriage. God had promised, this is where the Christmas promise comes in, God had promised that he would send the Messiah through the line of David, godly David. Well, 150 years have passed, and now we're down to Joram, who is not a godly 
king, but he's still the line of David that God is preserving. Over on the Israel or the northern side of things, Ahab and Jezebel, they had a king son named Joram also, and Athaliah, this lady that we meet here. She's the one who marries Joram, and so now she has opportunity for power in the southern kingdom. Her son Ahaziah, their son Ahaziah has been ruling, and they have sons. And so what we've just read in verse 1 is that she takes this opportunity in her some kind of evil midlife crisis, deciding, I am going to take over the southern kingdom, and she does the unthinkable after Ahaziah dies in terms of killing her own grandsons. Now, here's who is gone and why it all hangs on a bare thread of this little Joash. We saw last week that God had raised up King Jehu to take over, and he was really commissioned to wipe out all of Ahab's family. That all happened last week. Ahab, Jezebel, Joram, Ahaziah, they're all gone. And so we might wonder, well, wait a minute, aren't there other people in the line of David, men who could, boys who could become the king in that line? Well, Joram did have some brothers, but the problem was that when he became king, Second Chronicles tells us, he killed all his brothers. So that took care of any other alternative as far as his siblings. And then you'd say, well, did he have other sons? Well, also in Second Chronicles, we discover that the Philistines and the Arabs had come through on various raids and killed all the other sons. So it really was down to just the sons of Ahaziah. And what we have just read is that Ahaziah, uh, Athaliah thinks she has killed off all of those sons. Enter Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat rescues Joash. So there is one single possible heir to be the ancestor of our Savior, Jesus Christ, from the line of David. Uh, who is Joshua? Well, we really need to understand who she is as well, because she is royalty herself. Not a son, but a daughter of King Joram. And evidently, we find a very godly one. And so Jehoshaphat, we'll find out by a parallel passage in Chronicles, is actually married to Jehoiada, the high priest. Thus, we have our two heroes of the passage today, Jehoshaphat, a royal daughter, and Jehoiada, the leader spiritually of the nation as the high priest. And they rescue Joash here in these verses. You've never heard of those names. No one's done a movie about them. They are basically unremembered people who did a very, very important thing for the cause of God's kingdom. It's good for us to know that. Because frankly, if you would think back to the people who have had an influence in your life spiritually, most of the rest of us in this room might not know them. And the fact is that God is using uh, unremembered people to accomplish unparalleled spiritual victories all around the world all the time. One of the questions I enjoy asking uh, when I have a welcome class, just kind of a getting to know you kind of thing, by the way, next one starts a week from Wednesday. One of the questions I like to try to ask is, 
tell me about someone, tell, tell us about someone in your life who had a positive impact on you, not counting your mom and dad. And they go, oh, not my mom and dad. Yeah. So they think through, just anybody had any kind of a positive impact on them. And so often it is spiritual impact. But it's people like, you know, an uncle and a grandma, a teacher, a coach. It is, it is people that were like one little piece of their life, but they did something significant to impact their life. They were champions for these young people. And it's almost always in those younger years. Those are crucial years. We've, we've seen two teenagers tell their stories about people who have had impact in their life in those younger years. Never has youth and children's ministry in a church been more important to supplement the even more important work that every parent is commissioned to do. If Jehoshaphat had been selfish, she could have used her position of privilege just to keep herself safe. She's a royal daughter, right? She could have easily done nothing and we'd have never uh, accused her of anything while Athaliah conducted her purge, but she knew that she uniquely had access and opportunity and she made this dreadfully brave decision. I imagine her walking discreetly through the hallways that she knew and had access to on that day when the henchmen of Athaliah were going through the palace and collecting every grandbaby, whatever age, and running them through. But here comes Jehoshaphat, and she gets the one baby, Joash, and his nurse. And I imagine them kind of shushing the baby's cry. He could be about a year walking through maybe secret passageways that maybe only she and her knew, and then racing across from the palace to get to where? The temple, verse 3. He remained hidden with his nurse at the temple of the Lord for six years while Athaliah ruled the land. So providentially, she is married to the high priest, so she has access to both the palace and the temple. And she can bring him, this little boy, into the bedroom because who would have living quarters on the temple grounds but the high priest? And they could raise him in isolation without raising suspicions. And you can be pretty sure that Queen Athaliah, the Baal worshiper, never came to worship at the temple of God. Jehoshaphat rose first on this occasion and risked everything to protect young Joash. Crucial question. Who needs you to be a spiritual champion for them wherever they're at right now? This may sound silly, but I think one of the most selfish questions we can ask spiritually is, what do I need spiritually? What's wrong with that question? What do I need spiritually? The, pr the problem with that question is that we stopped too soon. The question, if we are maturing, is not only what do I need spiritually, but what do I need spiritually so I can be helping somebody else spiritually? The question is not what do I need spiritually, but who needs me spiritually? Because Jesus Christ, what he's doing on earth is building his church. And if, 
If we do not view our life spiritually as part of his church, we're kind of like one of the dead ends in his church. The the family tree kind of stops because God has preserved and built his church through now some 2,000 years since Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. And so there are some branches that aren't bearing fruit. That's what John 15 is all about. And so we have to ask ourselves, not just what do I need spiritually, but who needs me spiritually? For six years, they hid young Joash. In verse 4, tells us that it's in the seventh year that Jehoiada then chose to act. But now think about those six years. What was life like in Israel spiritually during those six years? If they knew the prophecies, they knew the promise of God, the Messiah needs to come through the line of David, to their knowledge, the most sincere believer would not even know about young Joash. It looks like God did not keep his promise. Ever feel like that? I know it's a promise, but it doesn't seem like it's working out. For six years, they were functioning in disillusionment. I think it's one of the reasons why believers sometimes today can be some of the most discouraged and even negative people is because we have such high expectations knowing as much scripture as we do. And so we expect to see certain things moving a certain way. But we will never be disillusioned if we go back to the fact that what Christ is doing is building his church. And no matter what is happening in the news, in the community, in our family, or in our health, that work goes on. He is building his church, sometimes best, or especially when we think we're being defeated. So the people of Israel, the people of Judah and Jerusalem, they didn't know this. To their knowledge, everyone had died off, and for security reasons, Jehoshaphat, and who we now meet, Jehoiada, uh, could not tell them. No prophet came along those years to assure them, no, no, really, uh, the, 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 the plan of God is going on. They had to simply continue, and I trust this is what they did, that they continued in those six years to serve the Lord, obey the commands of the Lord, and just trust the Lord. I don't know what you're doing, but I'm going to trust you. In spite of fears, cloud of uncertainty, doubting God's promises. Until Joshua, or rather Jehoiada, decided it was time to act. And so the private rescue has to now become a public coronation. He picked age seven. What Jehoiada did was brave, bold, and risky, just like his wife, as Second Chronicles tells us, as his wife Jehoshaphat did when she extracted baby Joash that day. So step one for Jehoiada is to plan this. I think for six years he had been writing notes, <laughs> figuring out how are we going to do this. We have the baby who will be the king, so we have to plan this masterfully, and I'm sure he did because it was planning what now happens in verses 4 through 16. Step one, plan. Step two, bring others in on the plan. First a few, and then a whole lot of people have to be involved and read in that day to pull this all off. Athaliah had to be renewed, uh, uh, removed and 
King Joash had to be inaugurated. And the details are thrilling, really, to see how he did it, but a bit complicated and somewhat complicated because we have supplemental material in Second Chronicles and we have to kind of fit it together. But if we look at it well, I think we find the details fit perfectly together. Verse 4, in the seventh year, Jehoiada sent for the commanders of units of a hundred, comma, and the Karaites, and the guards, and had them brought to him at the temple of the Lord. So he's pulling together leaders. He made a covenant, there's an agreement with them, and put them under oath, an oath of secrecy, I'm sure, at the temple of the Lord. Then he showed them the king's son. Can you imagine that moment? For six years they had functioned, and neither are assumed to be spiritual leaders. They had functioned in spiritual hopelessness. This doesn't make any sense. And voila, there is the king's son. <clears throat> Excuse me, this is, I brought this little boy to the meeting. His name is Joash. He's the son of Azariah. And I imagine gasps going throughout the room. These uh, units of a hundred and the Karaites. So, Karaites, first of all, are, are probably the Karathites uh, from David's day, 100 and some years before. They were some hired mercenaries who really became loyal parts of the nation of Israel. So, the military is going to be involved. And the commanders of the units, if we put it together with Second uh, Chronicles, uh, it seems that these units are actually units of Levites. Levites were the tribe of Israel that served in all of the temple worship capacities. And so they're going to be a part of this. And they are, so it's a combination of some key military people, it seems, and a lot of Levites. And so now they have just been shown the king's son. Verse 5, he commanded them saying, this is what you are to do. You are uh, you who are in the three companies that are going on duty on the Sabbath, a third of you guarding the royal palace, a third in the surrogate, a third uh, at the gate behind the guard who take turns guarding the temple, and you who are in the other two companies that normally go off duty are to guard the temple for the king, station yourself around the king, each man with his weapon in his hand. Anyone who approaches your ranks must be put to death. Stay close to the king wherever he goes. So however this is being organized, their job is clear. They are to uh, stay close to the king. You see a reference in verse 5 to going on duty. Uh, this, is a, this, is, this is kind of reflecting a little bit of how things worked in the temple. It seemed they were on a one week on, two week off kind of rotation of service as Levites. We see this kind of thing in Luke chapter 1 where Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, uh, was, it mentions how there's a rotation basis. As a priest, he would come to the temple to serve. And so you'd serve a week and you go home for two weeks. And so Jehoiada strategically chooses a Sabbath when some are coming on duty and others are coming off duty. Verse 9, the commanders of units of a hundred did just as Jehoiada the priest ordered. Each one took his men, those who were going on duty on the Sabbath and those who were going off duty, and came to Jehoiada the priest. What does that do if you have some coming on and some coming off? It doubles your, your manpower. 
because actually Second Chronicles uh, says that, that, that uh, he, he, uh, Jehoiada the priest did not release them, Second Chronicles 23.8. So those who thought they were going off duty, do you ever have to work a second shift? You know, they didn't come. So we overlapped and we got double the manpower, but there's still a problem. You can have double the manpower, but it says they had weapons. Do Levites have weapons? What, what, do, what do Levites really do? They don't do anything that requires weapons. They're the ones who are helping the priests, who are the, so the Levites are the, are the non-priest people of the tribe of Levi. They served at the temple that, that week, and they would be the ones washing the, the blood off and carrying away the carcasses and taking in the, the, the grain offerings and, and inventory and storage and, and all that kind of stuff. Now they're supposed to suddenly be units of a hundred in a military sense. Verse 10. Then he gave the commanders the spears and shields that had belonged to King David and that were in the temple of the Lord. The guards, each with his weapon in his hand, stationed themselves around the king near the altar in the temple from the south side to the north side of the temple. It's all covered and they all have weapons because... 150 years before, in God's providential planning, King David decided to store all the extra swords and stuff in the temple. They were probably on display, like symbolically, because David was having military victories everywhere and taking in more weapons than they could use. I'm guessing he made a display of them in the temple. This, look at what God has done for us. Like his, like his, his chart, his building fund chart or something. You know, this. Look at what God did for us. He provided everything for us, and so 150 years later, they need some swords discreetly that won't get the attention of Athaliah, who's just down a small path over at the palace. I love God's providential planning, and I don't know if that makes you start to jog your mind a couple things that you think of how God put this in place because you needed to, that from 150 years ago, something like that. But now it is go time, verse 12. Jehoiada brought out the king's son and put the crown on him. He presented him with a copy of the covenant, God's law, and proclaimed him king. They anointed him, and the people clapped their hands and shouted, long live the king. So they, they walk out, little second grader Joash, a robe that fits, I assume, a crown, hand him a copy of the law, they anoint him with oil, and the whole crowd that is now gathering says, long live the king. What will Athaliah do? Verse 13, when Athaliah heard the noise made by the guards and the people, she went to the, to the people at the temple of the Lord. She says, I got to go check this out. She looked, and there was the king standing by the pillar as the custom was. The officers and the trumpeters were beside the king, and all the people of the land were rejoicing and blowing trumpets. Then Athaliah tore her robes and called out, Treason, treason. Treason is her way of screaming, Oh no, I missed one. I imagine her kind of sitting in her palace that day, like always, surrounded by the food and, and comforts of, of her position, the majesty of, of having attendants who are coerced to do everything according to every whim. 
There are normal sounds, the bustle of the palace, the, you know, the birds chirp and the wind blows even when a wicked queen is ruling. And suddenly it's interrupted by this massive crowd shouting like a stadium full of people and she demands of some aid, what is going on? And the aides don't know. I don't know. So she jumps off her couch and heads toward the sound It's coming from the temple of God. And as she arrives, she sees the king. And she gets it right away because he's standing there with a robe and a crown and at the right pillar. She would have known the customs. The the temple that Solomon had built a hundred and some years before is described in 1 Kings as having these two huge pillars at the front entrance to the temple. They're eight feet in circumference, whatever that would be. They're 30 feet high, which is like the peak of the building on the outside. And you got these two big, big pillars. And one of them was evidently, it was custom that when you're uh, crowning a new king, that's where he stood. And here's this little boy. And she didn't have to work too hard at the math to realize that's got to be one of my grandkids. That's got to be him. Treason. Can you imagine kind of the wave of recognition coming over her while, every, while the people are enjoying a coronation? She's experiencing a coronary. Verse 15. Jehoiada the priest ordered the commanders of units of a hundred who were in charge of the troops, bring her out between the ranks and put to the sword anyone who follows her. For the priest had said, she must not be put to death in the temple of the Lord. So they seized her as she reached the place where the horses enter the palace grounds, and there she was put to death. Ah, Kind of a ding-dong, the witch is dead moment. They couldn't kill her in the temple. That's a desecration to the temple grounds. And so they take her out to this, probably called the horse gate, the kind of the main thoroughfare where the the carriages and and carts would come through. Uh, I imagine being a little bit smelly, but... That's the closest place handy. And they put her to death. You know, in all of Jehoiada's organizational thoughts through those years, we never have any indication that God spoke to him how to do it. No record that a prophet sent a messenger somehow, this is when you should should do it or, or how you should do it. He simply knew that it was God's will to preserve this king, and he had to make some decisions of how he's going to do it. It is so like living the Christian life. We know God's will if we read God's word. Personally, we know that we should live holy lives. And there's a whole bunch of decisions of what that means for you. We know that in our families, we need to model godliness as consistently as possible. We know that in the church, we are to be involved in each other's lives, all the one another's, love one another, pray for one another, encourage one another, teach one another, all these. We know what the church should do internally. We know what the church should be doing in the world, go and make disciples of all nations. We know the will of God, but we don't always know what what the method is, what the next step is. And so that's why God has given us minds and spiritual gifts and uh, leadership. And so, so we have to organize in every 
church does these kind of things different. Every family does them different. Your walk with Christ is a little bit different. But we have to work and plan and decide. We have to sign up for things and show up for things and organize things. And somewhere in the process of doing God's will the best we can, God is going to connect us to people that need us relationally. Small people, someone who needs to benefit from our own experiences with God, because that's how Christ grows his church. And so he's going to give you someone to champion. He, he, has, he has people in mind for you. This passage about a little boy, kind of birth to, to seven, right? And we can't help but think of how many children are part of our church family. Um, we need a lot of workers. We'll mention that again later. But you might think, I'm not good with kids. You know, I've, I've raised my kids. Or I used to teach Sunday school or something like that. But have you ever thought of breaking out of your comfort zone to do something like brave and new for you? Not necessarily kids, but something brave and new because that was Jehoshaphat, that was Jehoiada. Principal, spiritual champions make unseen, brave decisions. Somewhere there was a place in her heart where Jehoshaphat said, at that moment, I got to go get that little baby. But the reason she could make a decision like that in a moment is because of decisions she had made about the direction of her life over the course of her life. When the critical moment came, she could decide to take that brave action because her life had a direction. Your direction determines your decisions. So when there is a decision about your direction, you've made the most important decisions and the other ones come more easy. It's the direction that says, I am here to please God. I am here, remember personally holy, raise my family, example of godliness, be involved in, 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 in loving, serving, reaching the world, making... When your decision is about a direction, then you can make those little personal decisions. And that moment will come up in your family where <clears throat> you have a decision. This is what the world values about my kids. This is what the scripture values. But we have made a decision about our direction, so it's easy. That would cut into the time that we need for our children spiritually or whatever. And so there's something we can't do and there's something we must do, a decision that comes from our direction. That's, that's the point. Jehoshaphat and Jehoiada had made those decisions. Now, Jehoiada is in a unique position as spiritual leader. Um, he knows that the nation... The nation of of Judah needs more than just the right guy leading the government politically. The nation needs people with changed hearts spiritually. It's not just overthrowing Athaliah. It's transformation in the people of God. So, verse 17, Jehoiada then made a covenant between the Lord and the king and the people that they would be the Lord's people. He also made a covenant between the king and the people. 
And that led to a decision. All the people of the land went to the temple of Baal, tore it down, and smashed the altars and idols to pieces, and killed Matan, the priest of Baal, in front of the altar. If you were with us last week, you might say, well, wait a minute, didn't we do that last week? Destroy all the temple uh, of Baal? No, that was in Samaria, the northern kingdom. But it got imported through Elijah into Jerusalem, the southern kingdom. So you got another Baal temple to eliminate. And that's what they did. Jehoiada says, we got to renew a covenant between the Lord and the king and the people. However your Bible puts it, that we will be the Lord's people. That's the most fundamental decision. God owns my life. He gave me life. He has complete authority over everything in my life. He gave me my life. I live my life for him. That was the covenant. Who do you belong to? The whole world and every commercial will tell you, do it for you. You are not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. You're not your own. So make that decision first. So, and then whoever you are, if you're the king's daughter or the high priest, if you're a school teacher or a mechanic, a mom at home, a mom juggling a job, a missionary, a pastor, company owner in the corner office or the janitor cleaning the office, whatever it might be, doesn't make any difference. If you belong to God, he will find the place you will be his Serve his purpose and accomplish what he has in mind for you. So the covenant first is vertical. Then the covenant is horizontal between the king and the people. This is interesting when you think of a seven-year-old. But they were, had to, the people were to commit publicly that they will follow this king as leader. Of course, we'll find out in future chapters that he is going to be coached by Jehoiada. Good thing. But... They will follow this king, and, and this dear seven-year-old, to whatever capacity he could grasp at that point, had to say that, I'm going to lead them towards God. And so the covenants were made, but that led to another decision. What do we do about the idols? They smashed them. See, the question or issue was not simply to get rid of the head of state, but what was the state of their heart? And they had to eliminate the idolatry. You cannot pretend to make a commitment to God or tell your children to make a commitment to God if there is something more important to you than your commitment to God. That makes sense? Don't try to say something when there are things that are taking the place of your commitments. To God. The idolatry principle is really quite simple. It's whatever is more important to me than my God-given priorities. Idolatry is anything that is more important to me than my God-given priorities. And the two best ways maybe to test that is to evaluate your time and your emotions. Your, your Google Calendar can tell you a lot. If not that... If you actually did have an app on your phone that said what you did do all the time, how do you use your time? Because that reveals your true priorities because that is what you are actually doing. Time. Emotions. Anger reveals our idolatry. Because we get angry when something interrupts what is most important to us. 
So think through your emotions. What's my anger telling me about me? They smashed the idols. Then, end of verse 18, then Jehoiada the priest posted guard to the temple of the Lord. He took with him the commanders of hundreds, the Karaites, the guards, and all the people of the land. And together, imagine this, they brought the king down from the temple and went to the palace, entering by the way of the gate of the guards. The king then took his place on the royal throne, and all the people of the land rejoiced. And the city was quiet or at peace because Athaliah had been slain with the sword of the palace. Joash was seven years old when he began to reign two key fruits of the bravery of Jehoshaphat and Jehoiada championing this little boy. Two key fruits are the rejoicing and the peace. Love, joy, peace. Almost sounds like fruits of the Spirit because that's what God does when we are faithful to pursue the priorities as risky and as much as, as brave as it has to be. There is this spiritual joy because they realized that God really did save the king. That God's promises really were true. And there is, this, there is this emotional, I think, relational peace between one another because now they were on track pursuing the right things, not divided about the wrong things. They, this spiritual couple had stepped to the plate and they realized we are here to fulfill the promises of God. And they transformed their nation, really, spiritually and emotionally. For whom will you be a champion? And how do you find them? Ask yourself, who's in your sphere of influence? Who's around you most of the time? Career, organization, what do you do and who is around you? You might think, well, I don't, I don't go to work to influence people. I go to work to earn money to pay my bills. Yeah, well, that's something to think about, isn't it? Why did God give you all that time at that place unless there was a purpose beyond the money? Not that the money is not important. My family, okay? The next family thing you do, what is God, who is God pointing out to you as someone that you can have impact on? My church, who's sitting within 10 feet of you? Look around. Do you know them? Could they be something, someone that, that God wants to use you in their life? It might not happen in this room. It's one of the reasons we emphasize things like small groups and adult Bible fellowships or whatever, because someplace we've got to have conversations if we're going to impact each other, probably not all facing me looking forward in terms of real impact. So my influence plan is, first of all, pray. Who are you praying for spiritually? We should pray about everything that concerns us, but what, who are you praying for spiritually? There are certain people that God just shows you and says, I'm, I'm concerned or I'm connected to that person. Maybe it's because you like them. Maybe because you don't. Yet God keeps bringing them to mind. Serving. Who is open to your service? You know, sometimes you want to serve and, and someone's not open to it. It doesn't work out. So who's open to your service? 
Just being committed to them in some personal way. Experience. What do I face that can help someone spiritually? Doesn't mean you're above them or you've experienced everything and you've got to rush in and tell your story. No, first of all, listen to theirs. But your experience matters to someone. And then nurturing, what must I do at home that I'm not doing now? You think about the seven-year-olds in our lives. What do you... What... What needs to be done next? What conversation? Perhaps. Jehoiada was a long-term thinker. We might have thought it had been better to wait till 12 or 18. He went with seven. But spiritual champions patiently pursue long-term goals. And if we could just maybe use that six-year thing as a little bit of a application point. Family and church. Think six years from now, 2028. If you have kids living in your home, do the math and add six years. What, what stage will they be at? Your family photo will look different in six years, right? What spiritual stage will those kids be at? It's not just going from here to here. Where, they're going to be at, where might they be? Where do you want them to be spiritually? And for you to be faithful to help them there, does some personal desire need to get the axe? Or be put on hold at least? In other words, it wasn't wrong. It's what people do in life. That's what they pursue. But what needs the axe? What needs to be put on hold so that you are making progress when they're no longer six, they're 12. Not 12, they're 18. Church. Long-term church goals. This is maybe a morbid but vital thought. If you were to die in six years from now, who would miss you at Open Door spiritually? They'd miss you because you're a lot of fun. Got that. Who would miss you spiritually because you would have been vital to their spiritual life the last six years. You encouraged them when they went through hard things. You were more open with them than anybody else. You were the best listener. You taught them things. You, maybe you led a class or you taught their kids. But you were vital to their spiritual life. Six years. Because if we begin thinking about spiritual priorities and championing that for others younger. Then we're building the church that Jesus Christ said, that's what I'm doing. And if in those six years there were another pandemic, if there was more political upheaval, and if there were a devastating recession, it wouldn't change anything because we would still be pursuing what Christ is about. I will build my church, and the gates of hell can't stop what we're doing. Growing ourselves, impacting others. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would uh, take something of this section of your word. You wanted us to know this story, not to be entertained, but always to be challenged and transformed. And so we trust that your spirit is at work again today in your word.
And so as you brought thoughts to our mind, help us to sort through anything that you are saying very specifically. Uh, we know that you are at work in our lives, so you're at work in our minds, in, our, in, in the providence of things that happened many years ago, the, the, the realities of, of some thought you gave us today. Help us to trust the body of Christ around us, to guide us, to have an impact. And may we think beyond ourselves to champion spiritually for someone else you place around us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.